0: And thank you for listening to The History of World War II Podcast, Episode 292, The War Comes to Burma. Before and after Pearl Harbor, the Japanese worked hard to control much of China's coastal territory, to choke off receiving aid from the Western world. Yet far-off Rangoon in Burma was still open, though the situation there was far from perfect. No matter, President Roosevelt wanted the lend-lease supplies getting to China, and if they had to do so through Burma, then so be it. Yet the war and humanitarian aid was not getting through. This was confirmed just before Pearl, when Harry Hopkins, per FDR, sent a transport expert to Burma to figure out why in the hell not. Or, as FDR put it to Hopkins, who put it to Daniel Arndtson why not a goddamn thing was moving over the Burma Road. Which was a fair assessment. The docks of Rangoon were packed, dozens of trucks lined up, ready for use, and it was the same situation at Lashio, in northern Burma, at the end of the railway. From there, the 711-mile-long Burma Road to Kuming was ready to receive, besides its numerous duty stations, where bribes were expected. A concept as old as China itself. Another thing the Americans had to figure out. Per Arnstein, his later report would read, it would take eight months to clear up the backlog. But the U.S., nor any of the other allies, had that much time. The Japanese were running wild all over Southeast Asia, while the Germans were deep in Russia, having just come to the outskirts of Moscow. Again, FDR would not let go of the idea of some thirty million Chinese troops, armed with American goods, engaging and bleeding to death the Japanese empire. And the best part, in all honesty, was that this could all take place in China. To win there would draw in other Japanese troops from Southeast Asia and further east, like Guam and Wake Island. All the Western Allies' troubles wrapped up in one basket. And Chiang Kai-shek had no problem sacrificing hundreds of thousands of his own men if it got him what he wanted. Unconditional support from the Western powers and complete dominance in China, i.e. Sands, the Chinese Communists. On a strange side note, by late 1942, early 1943, Hitler would have the same view towards Muslims that FDR had about the Chinese. There would even be an SS regiment created entirely of Muslims from the lands of the former Yugoslavia. The potential was incredible, with the millions of Muslims of the world, but the tide of war had already turned by then. Though the forces of Thailand and Japan barely exchanged shots before the former declared a ceasefire and would, in fact, sign a promise On December 14th, to commit Thai troops to the Malayan and Burma campaigns, the attack on British ruled Burma started even before that signing, with a bombing strike on the southern airfield at Tavoy, a forward British outpost on the Kra Isthmus that connected Thailand with Malaya, roughly due west of Bangkok, on December 11th. Only on the next day, December 12th, did small units of Japanese troops cross over into Burma. One immediate result of the Burma invasion was Washington freezing all Thai assets in the States. Another would have longer consequences for Thailand. Though the Thai ambassador in London delivered the declaration of war to the British, the representative in Washington, Seni Promog, refused to do so. Instead, he set up the Free Thai Movement, which gave him access to those frozen funds to help the Allies, and Seni would be involved in Thailand's politics for decades to come. Now that the Japanese were taking Burmese territory, it must be noted that the British-led forces in Burma were practically unprepared in every way, from the rudimentary necessities like an adequate military intelligence staff to keep up to date on Japanese movements, to readying the civil defense, only established in November of 41, to take over the railroads and inland waterways, the best way to travel around for military needs. All these were for a minimum defense of Burma, yet were left undone. And providing an umbrella over the mix of undertrained and under-equipped Burmese British and Indian soldiers, known as the Army in Burma, were 16 aging RAF fighters, and they were centered around Rangoon. With the British thus unprepared in Burma, again being the last on a long list of needed suppliers, it wouldn't be long until they decided to give the country up. For now. In truth, the defense of Burma was never really a British concept. Instead, they hoped its rugged terrain, disease-laid mosquitoes, and monsoon-battered lands would shield the jewel of their empire, India. But as for taking the fight to the Japanese and Burma, in terms of the air war, this was left, relatively speaking, to the Americans, in the very small form of the burgeoning AVG, or American Volunteer Group, the Flying Tigers and the RAF pilots at Rangoon. The AVG, set up by retired Army Air Force's Colonel Claire L. Chenault, had been training specifically in Burma since the summer of 1941. The thinking went, this was safely far enough away from China. But now the enemy was coming this way, which would prove a maxim of General Joseph Stilwell's that said, air power is only as good as the ground forces protecting the airfields. If the troops are pushed aside, the planes are lost. And when the Japanese drove deeper into Burma, this wrecked Chenault's plans, as he had hoped to have his three squadrons of fighters act as a single unit in China. Now he felt compelled to say yes when the British requested help on December twelfth. One of his squadrons, the 3rd ABG Squadron, moved from Tangu, 220 kilometers, or 136 miles, due north of Rangoon to Megalodon, near the capital city, to help the RAF shield the area and its ports, which was still receiving non material. This left his first two squadrons to move to Kunming in China, to protect the city and the Burma Road, as it ended in Kunming. a tall order for so few aircraft. So when the Japanese went deeper into Burma, the British plan of that country, acting as a shield for India, would fall apart, which would leave the Burma Road, supplying China, vital to the U.S., about to be cut. The only thing worse that could happen would be to have all three participants, the Chinese, the British, and Americans, starting to argue with each other, which is exactly what would happen. With Burma threatened, the British and Chinese were arguing over the American supplies at Rangoon. Now, technically, legally, the goods were for the Chinese. That was the agreement between Washington and Chungking. Yet the British were arguing, we have the troops here. Now, give us the supplies to fight the Japanese. But the Generalissimo did not trust the British any more than Downing Street trusted Chiang Kai-shek. Still, it seems that some of the Chinese-bound Lend-Lease material did end up in British hands, which enraged Chiang. This left Brigadier General John Magruder, the man in charge of Amisca, the American military mission to China, who had been in Chongqing since September 41, to set about, once again, to placate Chiang Kai-shek. In late December, Cheng would be pacified, It was probably an act, and he would even approve the giving of some of the American goods to the British for the defense of Burma. Yet still, he needed to save face. Thus, Magruder would remove Colonel Twitty, the American in charge of Lend-Lease material, at Rangoon. With this settled, Ching got back to the business of defending Burma, a must for China. As such, he offered Field Marshal Wavell, the British Commander-in-Chief in in India, and the ABDA Commander, two Chinese armies for the Burma Theater, roughly 80,000 men. Yet, as Wavell believed that the Japanese had overextended themselves with this latest offensive, that they would be weak and prone to easy defeats. Besides, the last thing the British wanted were Chinese troops and their empire. The compromise was that Weibo would accept one division of the two-army offer, and the Chinese had to keep supplying that one division. But such was Roosevelt's fear of China either being defeated outright or making a separate peace with Tokyo, that he boosted Chiang's status by making him the supreme commander of Allied forces in a separate China theater. Which sounds impressive, But as there were no plans to place British or American forces in China, it was basically Chiang being left in charge of China, which he already was. But the Generalissimo, being his normally unpredictable self, happily took the offer. But he wanted an American to head his new Allied staff. This would bring Major General Joseph W. Stilwell to China, And his dance with the elusive Chang and his wife, Madam Chang, would begin. As the two parties had differing goals, unity was never possible. And while they tried to outmaneuver each other, thousands would die in Burma. This podcast could not exist without the help of sponsors like Yahoo Finance. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all you've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. I've stressed this in my podcast about command and control, which is exactly what Yahoo Finance is. You can see all your investments and retirement accounts in one place. You can consolidate your views from multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Yahoo Finance has been around for more than 25 years, and they've worked things out. You've got the tools you need right at your fingertips. I open up my Yahoo Finance, and within seconds, I can see how my stocks and investments are doing. And basically, investing is all about growth. And in order to grow, you need to know what's going on. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. As the war opened up in the Pacific with the raid on Pearl Harbor, it seemed that no one could stand up to the troops Of the Japanese Empire. Indeed, as the capital ships of the U.S. Pacific Fleet shuddered under Japanese bombs and torpedoes, Guam, Wake Island, Hong Kong, the Philippines, and Malaya were attacked on the same day. Just three days later, news came that Britain's lead ships in the Pacific, the Prince of Wales and the Repulse, had been sunk off the coast of Malaya. The next day, Germany and Italy declared war on the United States. As best as this new Allied partner in the war could tell, Japan had 51 divisions of army troops. 21 were in China, 13 in Manchuria, to keep an eye on the Russians. A small number were on home guard duty, which left 11 divisions active, along with some 700 army aircraft, to wage war. And those 11 divisions were bringing lands into the empire, honor to the emperor, and shame to the Allies. On December 23rd, Guam and Wake fell. Two days later, Hong Kong surrendered. And there were estimates that some 200,000 Japanese troops were in the Philippines, driving MacArthur's forces ever backward. On January 2nd, 1943, Manila fell. By this point, the Malayan Peninsula was invested, Thailand had quit resisting, and French Indochina was overrun, the Vichy government helpless to do anything about it. On January 23rd, the day that Marshall tagged General Stilwell as his man in China, Rabaul was invaded. With Indochina taken and Thailand joining Japan, this put Axis troops on Burma's doorstep. The war had come to Burma. When General Shijiro Iida's 15th Army came at Burma, he had 35,000 men from the 33rd and 55th Divisions. Later, he would be given two more divisions, the 18th and 56th. Still, on paper, the British were commanding more troops in Burma, but again, they had less combat experience, were not as highly motivated, and besides, were less trained and equipped. The Japanese plan of attack was broken down into two parts. First, the southern army would attack the most southern part of Burma and take the British airfields there that connected Burma with Malaya. Then, if and when the drive down the Malayan peninsula was going well, thus protecting his rear, General Ida's forces would push into Burma proper, above the isthmus, and make for Rangoon. Only then would the Japanese push north from that capital up the Burmese river valleys to the settlements in the north. As may be remembered, there was talk on Wavell's staff of some preemptive counter-strike if the Japanese came near the Malayan Peninsula. And though that was waved away for political reasons, after the invaders landed in Thailand on December 8th, The next day, Wavell's command ordered the 2nd Burma Frontier Force to cross the border into southern Thailand. Their objective was to cut the rail line to Malaya to slow down the invasion going further south. The British-led troops marched out of Mergui, just above the narrowest point of the Kra Isthmus, which connected Thailand and Malaya. Yet they were repulsed by the ever-ready recently-landed Japanese troops. The initiative was back with the invaders, so that same day, Japanese Ki-27 Kate fighters strafed and bombed the British airfield at Victoria Point, modern-day Kothong, the most southern Burmese city. When the Kates left, the British had fewer scout planes for the future battle. And with the British now blinded in this area, soldiers from the Japanese 143rd Regiment of General Aida's 15th Army crossed into southern Burma and occupied the airfield at Victoria Point by December 13th. The only good news for Wavell was that the air crews there had been safely evacuated by ship beforehand. As Aida's men had been making their way to Victoria Point, on December 11th, other Kate fighters had strafed another Burmese airfield, this one at Tavoy, in the northern section of the Kraw Isthmus. And on the day that Victoria fell, another raid, this by KI-21 Sally Heavy Bombers, hit the third British airfield on the Isthmus, at Mergui, in between Tavoy to the north and Victoria Point to the south. As for Tavoy and Mergui, they too would be engaged in December, but Burma Army Headquarters had sent out orders to hold these positions for as long as possible, as they helped the overall defense of Malaya. It was hoped by the British that any trouble the Japanese had in southern Burma, a.k.a. Tenasserim, would give pause to any push further south, but This was wishful thinking by the British, and had, in fact, already been factored in by the Japanese. The problem with defending places like Tavoy or Mergui was that the Japanese, once they got close enough, could melt into the jungle and hit the settlements from any direction. A roadblock was not the impediment it seemed to be for the British. Thus, by mid-January, these cities would be occupied as well. Thus, within days, not only were the Burmese positions along the Kra Isthmus neutralized, the other Japanese forces heading further south were having little trouble in pushing the Allied troops down into Malaya proper. Round one of the Battle of Burma decidedly belonged to the Japanese Empire. For the Japanese, as hard as they fought, it would take time to get to Rangoon, their ultimate objective. To take that was to guarantee that China would not see any more Western aid. And as their troops went further into Burma, local commanders quickly figured out that the British-led troops were sticking to the few roads available. Hence, all the invaders had to do was move off the road, bypass an Allied roadblock, and set up their own behind the defenders. This worked wonders, and the British would have to learn not to rely on their heavier equipment. Still, Rangoon was a ways off. But, as it had to be neutralized soonest, air raids were sent out to do what they could, until ground troops could arrive. As for the Flying Tigers, the first two squadrons that had been transferred to Kuming on December 18th got their first chance to show what they could do two days later. Coming at the southern Yunnan province, ten Japanese bombers approached, expecting, as they had for so many months, there would be no opposition. But up rose the P-40s, as they had been warned by an elaborate detection system of scouts on heights, armed with radios, telephones, and binoculars. Whether the Japanese attack was carried out by Betty Bombers, which held five machine guns and a 20 millimeter cannon, or the Ans, which could fire its one gun either forwards or backwards, is not known. Either way, the Americans were able to take out nine of the ten bombers sent. One AVG aircraft was lost. Now, this is exactly what Chenault had wanted. A relatively small number of highly trained pilots delivering very unequal losses to the enemy's air arm. As for Rangoon, the first sizable raid came on December 23rd. Their goal was to wreck the harbor facilities, not to mention sinking any transports found, but also to create panic, which would hopefully bring about a quick capitulation. So 42 Sally Heavy Bombers, 27 Anne Light Bombers, and 30 Kate Single Seater Fighters were on their way. Having enough warning, the British sent up 15 Brewster Buffaloes, already outdated by this point, while the Americans joined them in 12 Curtis P-40 Tomahawks of the AVG. The Japanese fighters went in to run interference, but found a marked difference in how the British and Americans responded. After all, Chenault had been working and improving his tactics since 1937. Whereas the British pilots used outdated moves in outdated planes, they employed tactics specifically meant to work against the German and Italian air forces, whereas the Americans went high quickly and dove down on the Japanese fighters and bombers. This way, they gained speed to counter the faster enemy fighters, and it allowed them to attack, then quickly turn away, to allow for another climb, to start all over again. To be sure, both groups of Allied pilots went after any stragglers, not protected by the formation, and at times, the various pilots would team up against an enemy bomber, throwing their ammo at the same engine or wing. The bomber might get through, but this would be his last time if he could not make it home. By the time the bombing raid was over, the Allied pilots claimed 13 bombers down, with seven more probables. One Japanese fighter was lost, with another probable. To be fair, the Anne Light Bombers were already obsolete, which meant its crew of two was flying a suicide raid if seriously challenged. Four P-40s were lost, but two of those pilots were recovered, whereas the RAF lost five planes and their pilots. That evening, AVG pilot Robert T. Smith would record the following. We all climbed and dove until ammo ran out. Martin and Gilbert both shot down and killed. My plane had a few holes in it, And when he landed, looking at Rangoon, he wrote, Fires all over and smoke very thick. After the raid, refueled and went back on patrol. A busy day. Let them come. Yet the enemy had left behind impressive damage to Rangoon, not to mention the heavy casualties among the civilians. Perhaps hoping to catch the Allied pilots off guard, another raid came on Christmas Day. In two waves, the attacking forces were larger this time, with 35 Sally heavy bombers and 27 Anne light bombers, protected by 25 Oscar and 32 Kate fighters. Again, the Japanese fighters chased the Allies as they climbed and then dove, seeking out any weak points in the enemy formation. But in the end, numbers do tell as the Japanese were able to inflict considerable damage on Rangoon, as well as its nearby airfield at Mingalandan. As in the Battle of Britain, this kind of damage would affect the future air defense of the capital. In all, some 5,000 civilians were killed that day, and many of the survivors began to leave the city. This time, the defending Allied pilots claimed 23 enemy planes, with another six or so shot down over the Gulf of Martapan, just east of Rangoon. The RAF lost three planes that day, the Americans zero. On December 27th, Air Chief Marshal Sir Robert Brooke Popham was replaced by Lieutenant General Sir Henry Pallnow, Commander-in-Chief Far East. Yet, unless he could produce dozens more pilots, planes, and ground crews, and he could not, nothing was going to change the equation. It was only a matter of time before Burma had no more pilots or planes left. And the air raids continued. On December 28th, 20 bombers and 25 fighters came, but 10 of them would not return to their Thai airfield. The next day, 40 bombers and 20 fighters came at Rangoon, but the Allied pilots claimed 18 kills with a loss of one American aircraft. On New Year's Eve, 80 Japanese planes came, but 15 of those never made it back home. Thus far, the RAF and American pilots had knocked 75 enemy aircraft out of the skies over Rangoon and the Gulf of Martaban. The Americans had lost two pilots and six planes. The RAF, a bit more of each. With the new year, some of the AVG planes would be transferred back to Rangoon from Kuming, but the Japanese also beefed up their attacking squadrons. Still, the Americans had decided it was time to take the fight to the enemy by strafing a Japanese airbase in Thailand. There, a dozen planes were destroyed while on the ground. And there would be other American raids in mid-January. But none of these could erase the simple fact that Japanese ground troops were coming ever closer to Rangoon. Stilwell's maxim was about to be proved correct. Of the AVG, Churchill would cable the governor of Burma the victories of these Americans over the rice paddies of Burma are comparable in character, if not in scope, with those won by the RAF over the hop fields of Kent in the Battle of Britain. The AVG would be disbanded on July 4, 1942, to be incorporated back into the U.S. armed forces. But Chenault had been right, yet so too was still well. Greetings, everyone, from Central Virginia. So, let's see, where do I start? Um, On July 10th, it will be my 10th anniversary of doing this podcast. And yes, I left Sanity a long time ago. Um, I will say thank you to the newest members and those who donated uh, on the next one. I just wanted to get this out. But I would like to ask a favor for my 10th, Birthday of the podcast. Anyway, if you could please go to iTunes in whatever country you listen to this from and leave a review for the podcast, I would greatly appreciate it. And yes, the next episode will have the ground battle with the Japanese going into Burma, the Chinese bringing their people in, the British saying no to the Chinese and then saying yes as they're getting pushed back. So we'll get to all the ground, the ground forces on the next episode. I just wanted to set the stage here. Um, And we'll get into that as soon as I can get the next episode out. Be safe and take care, everyone.